and welcome to Small Town Mysteries, a show where three longtime friends from Massachusetts tell crazy and heartbreaking true stories filled with the extra flair of small town mystery. I'm Kate, here with Christine. Hello. And Rachel. Hello. Bringing you our next episode on Jamie Kloss. Before we get into that, I'm going to highlight our missing person for this week. This week, I'm highlighting Donita Wilkerson, who disappeared on June 21st, 2020 from Evansville, Indiana. Donita Wilkerson has multiple tattoos, including a heart on her lower back, praying hands with the name Timmy on her upper right shoulder, and a cross on her upper left shoulder. She is 5'3", about 145 pounds, with black hair, brown eyes. She is a black woman. She was born in 1976, so she would be about 48 years old now, or almost 48 years old. Uh, We will have pictures of her, as well as the vehicle that she was last seen in on our Instagram account, at Small Town Mysteries Pod. For a little more detail, Donita Wilkerson was last seen on June 21st, 2020 at 8.16 p.m. at a motel in Evansville, Indiana. She was seen getting into a silver-colored 2004 Chevy Suburban. As I said, we will have those photos as well. Her phone was shut off pretty quickly, and her family reported her missing because she didn't call her mother or daughters, which she usually did. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts or safety of Donita Wilkerson, please contact the FBI Indianapolis office at 317-595-4000 or the Evansville Police Department at 812-436-7979. We'll have that information up on our Instagram account, so if you live in that area, please check it out. All right. Thank you, Kate. We get a Rachel episode. Just a little caveat. Might be a little bit discombobulated today. My head's not in the right space. Um, I quit my job today, guys. And honestly, best decision I could have made for myself. Collectively, the pod girlies are going through it. So it's going to be an interesting few weeks of episodes. (laughs) Okay. So today I am going to be talking about the kidnapping of Jamie Kloss. Do you guys know anything about this case before I get started? very bare bones like nothing about what actually happened only because i initially did look into this like i skimmed just the wikipedia page when we had the listener suggestion so i also forget the majority of what i read yeah i know the name but i don't think off the top of my head i could recall any actual facts about the case but i've probably seen a 2020 or a dateline about it so we'll see uh what my recall is as we go through this Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you have. Christine already said, but this is a listener suggestion. So thank you, Alex. We appreciate it. So on October 15th, 2018, Jake Patterson, age 22, broke into the Kloss family home in the town of Barron, Wisconsin, where he murdered husband and wife, James and Denise Kloss, and kidnapped their daughter, Jamie, who was 13 at the time. Patterson held Jamie in captivity for 88 days. Holy shit. I also didn't realize she was that young. Yeah. However, she managed to escape on January 10th, 2019, which I'm obviously going to talk about. Okay. So this crime was clearly premeditated. A lot of thought and effort went into this. And I'm definitely going to paint a clear picture of that. So I'm sure you're asking yourself, why Jamie? So why did this man just pick a random 13-year-old? Well. One day when he was either driving to or from work, I'm not sure which one, but inevitably doesn't matter, he spotted Jamie as she got off the school bus near her home. And right after seeing her, he immediately knew that she was, quote, the girl he was going to take, unquote. 
Ew. I don't like that. I also think it is, I actually have no knowledge of the statistics on this, but I feel like when you hear about instances of kidnapping, kidnapping young girls, you usually hear about like, oh, they kidnapped her when, you know, when she was walking home or when she was out and about. But I feel like I don't generally hear like a person murdering the family and then kidnapping the girl. I agree. I was thinking that it's usually from the cases that I'm familiar with a crime of opportunity mm-hmm. in kidnapping cases. And so this premeditation, this like, that's the person I'm going to take. I'm going to specifically kill her parents and take her is like a whole other level of evil. So this was actually not the first time that he attempted to kidnap Jamie. He had attempted two times before. He had visited the Kloss family home on two separate occasions. A week beforehand, Patterson drove to the Kloss home, but was quickly scared off by all the cars parked in the driveway. He came back a day or two later, but noticed lights on in the house and people walking around. So again, he left. Patterson even went as far as shaving off his facial hair before abducting Jamie in hopes of not leaving DNA behind. That's crazy. That's... I... Did he still have, like, other hair on his head, though? I think so. Barely, though. Barely. Okay. There's a picture. If you scroll down, you'll see a picture of his mugshot. He doesn't have much hair. Mm. Okay, so so he tried to eliminate as much potential DNA from being left at the scene as possible. It just shows the premeditation. That's what I'm trying to get behind, is that, like, he clearly planned this out. Like, it wasn't just, like, a, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm sure you'll get into this, but did he have prior convictions? Not that I saw. That okay. I didn't see that anywhere. Okay. But at the same time, I didn't put too much effort into him. Mm. And usually don't. And I think this is one of those cases where it's actually very heavily con- like concentrated on the victim. But, however, it's concentrated on what happened to the victim, not the victim. So I feel like it. everything talks about what happened to Jamie, but nothing about like who she was as a person or who she is as a person sorry yeah i think i saw that and this was a really long time ago it was probably one of our first like 20 episodes but jennifer shewitt with her she also escaped a really difficult situation and it was really focused on her but all of the stuff that she went through. And I think that's kind of where the story is. If there's a survivor, you want to know like what happened and how they survived, but no one's really talking about who they are as a person. I also think it does make a difference because she's a minor. Like I do think that also plays a role. But at the same time, like we've covered cases where we found way more on minors. Absolutely. But then again, I also get that her family wants everything to be private. Like this poor girl went through it. She does not need everybody hounding her. Okay, so on October 15th, 2018, Jamie was awakened by her dog barking. And then she saw Patterson coming toward her house in his vehicle. She immediately woke up her parents. James Kloss, 57 at the time, managed to make it to the front door of the home. But sadly, he was fatally shot. Jamie and her mom, Denise, went into the bathroom and hid in the bathtub behind the shower curtain when Patterson kicked the door down. Patterson tied up and gagged Jamie before fatally shooting her mother, Denise. 
He then dragged Jamie outside and put her into his trunk. And this part, like, really kind of gets me. Shortly after Patterson started driving, Jamie reported later on that she heard the sirens of the two squad cars that came. That's devastating. I can't I mean, I just, Like, that's that's a whole new level. It, the situation is all around horrible. I, I, abductions are terrifying. But to imagine that you were that close to rescue and, and still end up in captivity for 88 days, it, that's terrible. Police arrived at the Kloss family home after receiving a phone call from Denise's cell at about 1 a.m. So, like, Denise managed to call, which obviously amazing. Police arrived within four minutes and wow. she was gone. I mean, that's excellent response time on the part of the police department. But that also just shows how effectively planned this crime was that, you know, he was able to grab her and run before police got there. So officials immediately started looking for Jamie. In one month, investigators had pursued over 2,300 leads, watched multiple surveillance videos of Jamie, and spent countless amount of time looking for her. There was a $50,000 reward for any information leading to the discovery of Jamie. After Patterson abducted Jamie, he drove over an hour away to a house in Gordon, Wisconsin, which is about 70 miles away from her home. Actually a small town. The population in 2000, 645 people. Very small. Yeah, but that was 2000. So obviously it has to be bigger now, but like... Probably by like 30 people. (sighs) I know, right? So he took all of her clothes and belongings and destroyed them, trying to get rid of evidence, of course. So I'm not sure if he, like, always made her stay under the bed. I don't think so. I think, like, when he was home, she was allowed to be out and about. But when he left or there was people over, he would make her hide under his twin mattress and barricade it with, like, storage boxes and weights. I feel like maybe I have some, like, mild claustrophobia because, like, do you ever, when you climb under your bed to, like, grab something, that's the worst. Like, it doesn't matter how high up the mattress is on the bed frame or anything, like... That is such a crushing feeling. And and part of me wonders if that's just me or if that's like everyone hates doing that. But anyway, I can't imagine being forced to stay in that barricaded in for an extended amount of time is my point. Like if I can't even do it for three minutes to grab, you know, a shoebox, what that would be like every single time someone else was in the house. So Patterson made it very clear to Jamie that nobody could know where she was and if somebody found out, then awful things would happen to her. Um, he would often turn on music to drown out any noise coming from the room. On January 10th, Patterson told Jamie that he was leaving the house for five to six hours and forced her underneath the bed. When he was gone, she pushed the weights out of the way, put on shoes, and walked right out of the house. Patterson came home that day to find that Jamie was not under the bed, and he found her footsteps outside. So obviously he's like, well, shit, I got to look for her. So he drove his car around looking for her, couldn't find her. And by the time he got back, he was greeted by police. So he told her I'll be gone for five to six hours. Yep. That seems kind of stupid. That's a lot of time for uh, someone to have to escape. Yeah. I was going to say, I also know of cases... And it's a very, very famous case where, like, the person that was holding people captive would tell them things that would turn out to be false to test them. So, like, they would say, I'll be gone for, like, five hours. 
and they would really be gone for like two minutes and then come back to like see them trying to escape and then basically psychologically beat them down. So I was like, oh, maybe he, but no, he literally was gone for five to six hours. Yeah, that's kind of what I assumed too, is that he was trying to set her up. I honestly think it had been so long, like he got comfortable. Like that's what happened. So Jamie was found wandering by herself in the town of Gordon. It was middle of the winter. We're talking January. So extremely frigid outside. She's not wearing a coat or gloves. I'm not exactly sure if she's wearing like a t-shirt or like a sweatshirt or whatever. And like a pair of leggings. She was discovered by a neighbor who was walking her dog. This neighbor, Janine Nuttern, took Klaus to the house of Kristen and Peter Kazanakis. And that's where they called 911. So trialing and sentencing. As I mentioned earlier, Patterson clearly put a lot of thought into this awful crime. He also put in a lot of effort kind of afterwards, too. This is something else he did before, but he stole a pair of license plates and put them on his own car. In addition, he disconnected the dome light of the ceiling of his car so that when the door opened, you wouldn't see light shining. And then after using the shotgun, he wiped it down wearing gloves to get rid of any fingerprints. And I'm, I'm sure that this level of like premeditation and attempt to destroy evidence like played a, a heavy role in his sentencing. Absolutely. That's, that's usually an aggravating factor in sentencing. Patterson was arrested shortly after Jamie was discovered. He was charged with intentional homicide, kidnapping, and armed burglary. Bail was set at $5 million, and a DNA sample was ordered to be taken from him. Patterson pled guilty on March 27, 2019. He was sentenced to two life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole for the murders of James and Denise Kloss. He also received the maximum sentence of 40 years for kidnapping Jamie. So here's a quote from the judge of the trial, Judge James Babbler. Quote, you are the embodiment of evil. You are one of the most dangerous men to ever walk on this planet. I agree. Yeah. Also, Judge Babbler, I think, is a little great. Was thinking that and I was like, oh, I don't want to be the one to bring it up. But um, that's a great name for a judge. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could take him seriously, but your honor, Babbler. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So Patterson spoke briefly. With tears in his eyes, he said, quote, I would do absolutely anything to take back what I did. I would die. I would absolutely do anything to bring them back. I don't care about me. I just, I'm so sorry. That's all. Mm-hmm. And it's like, cry me a right. fucking river. Yeah. It, it's so easy to say that in hindsight and be like, I wish I hadn't. Well, you did. And not only did you, you put a lot of thought and planning yeah. into doing this the exact correct way and covering up your tracks, wiping down your car, making sure there was no DNA or fingerprints. Like, you are beyond any redemption. And it seems that the justice system agreed with that, that, that this guy was like, you know what? No. You, there's no second chances here. You don't get... And, and also, I don't know... What state was this? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Um, I don't... Do they have the death penalty? You can look it up really quick. But this is a really great example of, like, a case where I am borderline grateful that someone didn't get the death penalty because I want them to rot in prison. Um, Actually, the, it was repealed in 1853. It has had no death penalty for over 150 years longer than any other state in the country. Wow. That surprises yeah. me. Damn. Wow, Wisconsin, really? That's that's surprising. Okay. Yeah. So that's good to note. So I mean, I I guess death sentence was never on the table for him. But for him to say, I would do anything, I would die, like I would give my own life to undo this. Well, 
that A is not an option apparently in Wisconsin for the last 140 years. But also I, you know, personally tend to err on the side of letting people rot in prison instead. Like I want him to live with what he did. All right. So now I want to talk about quotes from Jamie's family that was made at the trial. These are tough. So just giving you that. Quote, Jamie no longer has her parents, which were her whole world, and she was their world. She no longer has her home, said Jennifer Smith, Jamie's aunt, addressing Patterson. She lives in fear, doesn't have a normal 13-year-old life, and that's all from what you did. You took so much from Jamie. You took her parents, her home, her childhood, and her happiness, said Lindsay Smith, Jamie's cousin. Yeah, I mean, that is completely true. You can't imagine someone to fully come back from something like this that's that deeply traumatizing i mean you can counseling is great you know like there's there's things you can do but at that formative age to go through a trauma like this and it's a trauma pretty much no one else is gonna be right it's not like there's support groups for like both of my parents were murdered and then i was kidnapped it's a it's a little too specific And a lot of these stories where you have someone who ends up escaping this type of situation, I feel like they at least go home to their parents. Yep. And they can at least have that like reunion and it might be, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be horrible either way. But Jamie had to go home to nothing. Right. It definitely sort of compounds that trauma of the whole time she's held captive. She doesn't have that home to go back to if that makes sense like knowing that her parents were gone and then she did witness both of them dying so she would know that for certain i feel for her i feel so much sympathy for this child for having to go through that and and still going through it because like i said it's not something that just goes away and then i also imagine how like their surrounding family felt like obviously they had sisters not not jamie but i mean like her parents and stuff. Like they had a family and they just had two of their family members murdered and have no idea where their 13-year-old family member has went for 88 days. Right. And and I also, I always think in these scenarios, um, and it comes up occasionally in like true crime documentaries, when you have someone who's missing and someone who's been murdered, that the family has to like have funerals for the deceased knowing that they still haven't found this young girl like is how are you supposed to focus your head enough to plan these funerals and organize the search efforts and worry about her well-being and grieve it's so much all at once and i also feel like they wouldn't really this sounds kind of awful but and I, i'm not in their shoes i can't speak for them but i feel like they would be so worried about jamie that they mm-hmm. wouldn't really be able to grieve the loss of their other family members because you'd just be so focused on trying to find which like that's what they would have wanted obviously oh, of course all right so here's some more quotes from family members so quote thank god after 88 days we got answers said kelly Kloss Englehart, james's sister She saved our family. She put the pieces together and now we need to move on, she said. We have to go to sleep at night knowing that our niece is finally safe and that nobody else can be hurt. So I'm at least glad that they could get that closure 
and get that part of right. their lives back. It's a very admirable view of the situation to to view her coming home as them of as her like putting the family back together. I I think that's beautiful. I agree. And then here's a quote from Mike Kloss, James's brother. Quote, because of this monster, Jamie won't have her mom and dad at her dance recitals, won't have her mom and dad at her prom. My brother won't be able to walk down the aisle at her wedding day. And it's just it's always heartbreaking to hear these things. Just Yeah. That I feel like that's a quote we hear I want to say like the majority of the time is like we won't be able to when it's a woman, we won't be able to walk her down like her wedding for her dad. And I think it's just like you think when you lose a person of all the big things they're not going to be there for. Right. You immediately go to milestones. She's alive. She'll get married maybe someday if she so chooses. I feel like those big moments, that's such an important part of the grieving process of like reckoning with the fact that these losses will continue for decades. You know, like she, she lost her parents on that day, but she's also losing her parents the day of prom. She's also losing her parents the day of her wedding. She's also going to lose her parents the day her kids are born. Like, that, this is not a grief that ever dissipates. Yeah, this obviously resonates with me very heavily because my mom died when I was little, when I was nine. So, like, my mom wasn't around for my wedding. She never met my husband. She's not going to meet my kids. And I definitely, it's, uh, it's the hardest part, I think, of it. Because thinking about all the things that just could have been that never will be. Right. I've come to my own conclusions. I've had a lot of therapy. So, you know, shout out to therapy. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Now I'm going to talk about what Jamie said. I can't imagine like facing him that day in the court. And she was 13, maybe 14 at this point, not 100%, and said this while looking at him, which is just power move. Yes. So, quote, there are some things that Jake Patterson can never take from me. He can't take my freedom. He thought that he could own me, but he was wrong. I was smarter. I watched his routine and I took back my freedom. I will always have my freedom and he will not. Last October, Jake Patterson took a lot of things that I love away from me. It makes me the most sad that he took away my mom and my dad. I loved my mom and my dad very much and they loved me very much. They did all they could to make me happy and protect me. Jake Patterson can never take away my courage. He thought he could control me, but he couldn't. I feel like what he did was what a coward would do. I was brave and he was not. He could never take away my spirit. That's incredibly brave. A teenager. Yeah. Because the thing is, like, I think about, like, I I try and put myself in this position and thinking about going through this. Even at my age, I don't even think I could say something like that. Right. I just, I, I can't imagine just having that much courage in yourself. It's remarkable. All right. So now I'm going to briefly talk about him. Boo. Yeah, I know. We know. So Jake Patterson, 22 at the time of the crime, was born on June 17, 1997. So that's when I was born. That's when Kate was born. Christine was born in 96. But yeah, we're the same age. That's a whole additional layer of disturbing because I feel like a lot of these cases, it's like musty old guys. I don't know. Maybe that's not a fair generalization to make, but ugh, it, that, that is... Makes me feel no, it defi- it's definitely, yeah. So his parents got divorced in 2007. In 2015, he graduated from Northwood High School near Minogue, 
Wisconsin. Um, and then here's a little quote from his fa- his father, Patrick Patterson, who came forward after Jamie was found. Quote, all I care about right now is Jamie's family. I want to get them a note. And I think something that I, I don't feel like we've really talked about that much that I feel like it's kind of hard to sympathize with. But could you imagine being the parent of somebody that did this and now has to be like, my son did this horrible, terrible thing and I'm now related to that? I would throw my kid under the bus so fast. Yeah, this um reminds me of there's a TED talk and it's from the perspective of the mom whose son was a Columbine shooter. And it's literally called like my son was a Columbine shooter. This is my story. It's a really yes. good talk. Yes, I've seen that one. If you want to take a listen. But yeah, it's heartbreaking on so many levels. I feel like your whole life is ruined after that. <laughs> Right. I feel like if you spent 22 years of your life like raising this child and trying to mold them into like a good person who meets societal expectations and succeeds in their career and their personal life. And then your child does something like this. It, it, that Once again, I'm not in this situation. So I say I would throw my kid to the curb so quickly. But like how much of a failure do you think his parents felt like? Yeah. And I also feel like you probably go through like some cognitive dissonance about like still keeping in contact with your son because they're your son or you just can't stand the things that they did. So you just that's it. Right. It's like you you wake up and realize you don't have a son anymore. All right. So the continuing obsession. Patterson tried to write a letter to Jamie while he was in jail. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Obviously, they check your mail. So, obviously, it never got to her. Thankfully, officials were able to retrieve the letter before it went out because they check all that stuff. In the envelope, there was a letter written to Jamie from Patterson, obviously, and some drawings. That's all I could find on it. I don't know what else. He's also talked to reporters over the years. And here's what he said to one reporter. Quote, we were just like watching TV, playing board games, talking about stuff. We cooked a lot. Everything we made was homemade, you know? Obviously, this is him reminiscing about their time together. Disgusting. So he told the reporter that he desperately still wants to talk to Jamie, but obviously knows that that's not possible. And then, quote, I just love her, unquote. Last thing I want to talk about is Jamie and her healing, because obviously now Jamie has to live her life. Um, And try and figure out what normal is for her. I did see one thing that she has to, like, she won't go to sleep if the house alarm's, like, not turned on. All right. So, Jamie currently lives with her aunt and uncle. The home where James and Denise were murdered was torn down. Which, like, coming, especially coming from somebody who lost somebody close to me. Obviously, everything's different. Lost my mom. Obviously different. But I wonder if this helps with the healing process or if it's just like one of those things that you think will help that like doesn't actually help. Like it's just Mm -hmm. something I pondered. Yeah. Two years after the discovery of Jamie, Jamie's aunt came forward saying that Jamie is doing well. Her aunt's name is Jennifer Nayberg-Smith. And she says Jamie is just taking life day by day. Quote, Jamie is doing good. 
She is enjoying dance, school activities, and many other things as much as possible in regards to now dealing with the COVID restrictions. She is surrounded by lots of loved ones. That's an interesting point about the COVID restrictions with the timeline on this. That would have been especially devastating for her, I would imagine, to come out of literal captivity and, you know, not much later have the world locked down. This January, so literally last month, marked five years since the discovery of Jamie Kloss. And... I couldn't find more information on her, and honestly, I shouldn't be able to. She's a young girl. She At needs to do point, her own healing. If it was five years ago, she's an adult, and she should have her space and heal. And I think her family did a great job of keeping like, the sordid details sort of out of the spotlight here. And then I just have a picture of her parents' wedding photo. Because we're obviously victim-centered, and obviously this case really revolves around Jamie. But Jamie did lose her parents. so Right, of course. There's multiple victims in this case. It's not just Jamie. It's Jamie and her parents. And, yeah. It's a beautiful wedding photo. Isn't it? So, yep, that's the kidnapping of Jamie Kloss. Thank you so much, Alex, for that recommendation. Yeah, thank you. And thank you, Rachel. If you live in a small town, you live near a small town, you have once heard of a small town, and would like to send us information about this small town for us to research, we'd love to hear from you. Our Instagram is at smalltownmysteriespod. Once again, send us your dogs, cats, snakes, turtles, birds? Dare I add pet birds to the mix? We love hearing from you. We love hearing your opinions on our podcast if you have Uh, recommendations or um even like critiques um, critiques yeah so we had someone who reached out to us about like our microphone levels recently so we are addressing that everything like that is extremely helpful we really appreciate when people take the time out of their day to contact us about that so and we will have a new episode for you next week so i believe that is the episode thanks for tuning in come spiral with us next week Bye. bye